everybody and welcome to something to talk about. I'm your host Randy Wartelski and I thank you so much for joining us here on the Nachum Siegel Network. A couple of years back I had the privilege of moving. We went from a two-bedroom apartment with three kids to a house and the stuff my gosh the stuff there was just so much of it as we realized we had totally outgrown our apartment space. The idea of an actual house was so exciting. After all we needed space to put all that stuff. What we quickly realized when we moved was that the bigger space just meant more stuff in more places. And we saw that decluttering could actually make our space look and feel bigger and made everyone who entered it feel a sense of calm. I've always been interested in decluttering and organizing, mostly since that move, and how it can shape your life. And before you turn off your computer and say, this isn't for me, you have to hear what my guest has to say about what organizing can do for your life. Esther Simon joins us today from L.A. She is the traditional home organizer, blogger with a great website. She helps individuals with a broad range of organizational issues, including streamlining the paper trail in their home or office, space planning, filing systems, and especially something that is most challenging for all of us, time management. She is the mother of seven, and her own immaculate home demonstrates the positive effect a well-organized, uncluttered environment has on a family's daily routine. Esther, thank you so much for joining us here. Oh, it's my pleasure, Randy. So, Esther, what is a home organizer? Okay, so a home organizer is someone like myself who comes into your home and really helps you with whatever issue is troubling you. I usually call it what's crying out to you. There's always one troubled area to start with because everything you do in a home snowballs into other areas. So, for example... A person might call me and say, oh, Esther, my house is just such a mess. I can't seem to find anything. I'm always running late. My kids are disorganized. I just don't feel good about what's happening here. Can you come over and help me? And sometimes she'll say, I don't know where to start. And that's when I say, well, what issue is you know, crying out to you? Sometimes they'll pick an area that's not really that bad, but it's the most rewarding area for them. So we start with that area, or I sometimes will see something that they don't see, and we start decluttering it, organizing, setting up systems. I show them techniques. I talk them through it. It's almost like a talking book. Because of, because of my social work skills, I help them with what I call separation anxiety. They really have trouble decide, making decisions and deciding what they should keep, where they should put it, how much time they should spend on it. So decluttering, the of the home. so decluttering is so much more about, and as you said, and I was going to mention as well, that you do have a master's degree in social work. Right. So decluttering is so much more than just moving things around. It's more, it, it's deeper than that? Yes. Randy, have you ever heard of the executive functioning skills? These are things that you actually learn in kindergarten when you're young. What they are are learning the ability to remember things in short term, paying attention, problem solving, um, switching from one task to another, monitoring how long it takes you to do something, switching gears. Those types of skills 
for some people are very challenging, and it doesn't even matter how intelligent you are or how successful you are in business. Many of my clients are CEOs of big corporations, they're surgeons, they're psychiatrists, they're teachers, they're really shakers and movers. You know, they're in the film business, this is Hollywood, of course. Oh, yes. And they really have trouble opening their mail. They have trouble hanging up their clothes. They have trouble deciding meal planning. They have trouble uh, with their time management with their calendar. They don't know where to put their passport. They don't know where to put their important um, papers for an airline ticket. And it's it's crazy almost, but it's true because they're, they're good at some things, and they're weaker at others. They're more challenged. Why is it important to have an organized space, an organized life? Well, I think you can be more effective and efficient. You know, Randy, it's not about how much you get done in the day. It's about getting the important things done, setting priorities, having goals, being clear on what's most important. What, how can you be most successful and how can you be more productive? And that's when you learn to separate your organizing skills. So, you know, the classic example is finding your car keys, right? You know, people forget where they put it. They forget uh, other things that they need. And if you set up the system and reminders, now for some people it's making lists, but it's making the right list. The to-do list, for example, can be divided into to-dos, to-calls, errands. Some people make what I call a long laundry list, and their list looks like go to the cleaners, clean out my attic, you know, plan for a Shabbos meal, uh, set out bar mitzvah invitations, um, you know, go to the butcher. And these things don't always match. Some of them are calls. Some of the things are you can do at home. And some of the things take, you know, are long-term procrastination projects. Cleaning out your closet, you need help. You might need a dumpster. You might need extra boxes. It's not like calling your mother in the morning. It's a different task. It needs to be on a different list. Right. So many people would say, and you used, you know, cleaning out your closet as an example. Many people would say, well, why do I need to clean out my closet? Like, who cares if my closet is messy? No one's seeing my closet anyway. What could a clean, organized closet do for you? Right. So for many people... Let's say they get up in the morning and they need to get dressed quickly. And they look at this closet and there's old clothes in it. There's things that are torn. There's things that they don't need anymore. There's things that don't belong in that closet. And it can waste time or give you a sense of being disheveled, being um, not inadequate but just like sad, almost depressing. Some people don't come home because it's a mess. So they'll just stay out late. You've heard the cl- I hope you've heard some of the classic examples of people who have a cluttered kitchen table, and it might be their excuse never to have guests. Well, I can't have guests. My house is a mess. So sometimes I use it as a negative um, excuse. But back to the closet, it makes them not be as clear, as quick, and maybe as serene. It brings a being organized can. Bring a sense of release, less stress. I have a friend who just told me this week that she sometimes doesn't have time to make her beds before she goes to work in the morning, mm-hmm. but she often comes home um, like a 3 o'clock in the afternoon before her kids come home from school, and she says that sometimes 
she'll start making the beds at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And she says she realizes it's totally pointless to make a bed at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when you know you're going to get right back into it, you know, just a few hours later. But she said the the idea of getting into an unmade bed somehow disrupts, you know, her equilibrium. Right, she likes right. to get into a, into a very neatly bed, neatly made bed at night, even if she don't had only made the bed at four o'clock in the afternoon. That gives her a sense of peace, of of, of cleanliness, of, of um, I don't know, well being. I have a philosophy about making my bed. You know, when I wake up in the morning, I think, oh, I really don't know what this day is going to bring. How much control can I have in my day? But by starting with the feeling of of the action of making my bed, I can control that. I can make my bed and say, I don't know what happens when I step out of my bedroom door, but I know I had control this morning and I made my bed. I set myself up for a good start, my right foot forward. And your role models, I think the most important thing of an organized home is to set an example to your family and children. You are always on stage. Your children see that your bed's made. They see that you're dressed before you pick, you wake them up in the morning. You are a prime example. And believe me, as a mother of seven and I'm working on my ninth grandchild, wow. you really are an example. And it carries a lot of weight. And that's true in the office as well. When people yes. come into your office and they see a neat desk and they see organi- an organized filing system, that has an effect on your employees, that has an effect on your colleagues. Right, right. How did you get into home organizing? So it's interesting. You know, I spent the first um, five years being a medical social worker here in Los Angeles, and I stopped at my second maternity leave, and I um, stayed home for 15 years raising my seven children. And then I had a friend that came over just after, I have six girls and a boy, just after my son was born, he's number seven, she said, you know, Esther, your house is so organized. Can you come over and show me? And I said, sure, not a problem. And I did, and she said, you know, You've got to do this as a business. This is incredible. And I hooked up with the National Association of Professional Organizers. It's a huge organization. There's about 6,000 members in the United States, and we're branched out to Europe. You can find them on the Internet by typing in napo.net and find an organizer in your area. And we network. We have uh, conferences. There is extra... um, in services and meetings and teleclasses and webinars and all kinds of stuff. And I started writing articles and giving classes here in Los Angeles. And we should note that, just getting back to the NAPO, that this year you were nominated for Best Small Space Organizer. Right, which was very flattering among my colleagues, but I was running up against the Container Store. Of course they won. The the Container Store is, um, you know, the go-to place to get your small... um, systems so but it was very flattering and a very fun event must admit and uh, yeah and to be in the same category as the container store that's yeah. uh, that's pretty cool and there were two the other the other nominees were the amandas it's a show on cable and um the fourth nominee was the president of the napo local chapter nadine so that was also kind of four of us is nice so somebody came to your house and said you should do this professionally you should yeah. organize other people because I don't think that most people even realize that home organizing is a profession. I think they do now. The fact that Oprah has her own guru, Peter Walsh, you know, is always on the cover of Oprah, especially this month. She's decluttering her life again. 
Um, Julie Morgenstern, who's out there on Oprah also. I think there's more. I think there's more because of Hoarders. I actually had the um, privilege of being on Hoarders. It's a T. It's a A and E uh, cable show. Have, do you have that back east? Yes, we do. Right. So um, Hoarders kind of gives you the worst feeling about um, being cluttered because right. it's a disease, really. But um, it's pretty popular. You see people talking about organization. Uh, time management. There's a lot of books out there now. I don't think it's as in the dark as it was 15 years ago when I started. The, the NAPO organization has been around about 26, 27 years. But there have been people who wanted, who did some type of organizing way before that. I think it's just more popular now. Right. And so now you've been organizing people's homes and businesses and lives for a number of years. Right. And uh, you have sessions and workshops that you offer in your local area in L.A. Right. And you have a wonderful blog, which I've been reading, and we should tell people that they can read your blog at traditionalhomeorganizer.com. Right. And you have come up with seven musts for organization, for home organization. And you're going to run through some of these things with us and uh, generally teach us how we can improve our lives by being more organized. So Wait, what's so the number one must for home organization? Okay, so the, I'm going to just tell you the seven and then go over them again. So it's time management as being number one, organizing your kitchen, organizing your papers and files, children's schoolwork, schedule routines, number six, shopping lists, number seven, storage. So I'm going to run through and try to give you just a tiny example of each so this afternoon can be productive for you when you, you know, turn the radio off. Right. So time management starts with really knowing how fast you can get things done. Kind of have an inner clock. When when are you most what time of day are you most productive? What are your strengths and weaknesses according to time? You need a calendar. A calendar can be any time type of day planner, whether it's a visual one like the Stephen Covey planner, Franklin Covey planner or your iPhone calendar on Outlook on your computer, or it could be your wall calendar or a spiral notebook. You need some place to look at the date and start to write things down, to put in your hard rock. Stephen Covey talks talks about a seven habits of highly effective people, which is my role model, and it talks about writing your most important things down in the calendar is your rocks, and then you fill in the other chores you need to do. So time management is the go-to place to start to realize how much you can get done on what day and writing down, writing it down. If you have a goal, for example, if you wanted to lose weight, you needed to exercise, you would need to write down during the day which days, which hours you were going to exercise. It's not going to happen unless you schedule it. And by the way, time management is something that, you know, you can, you should be able to start learning how to do even at a young age. I mean, think about kids in school who need to manage quizzes and tests and homework, and this is a skill that could aid in your success even in school. Correct. That's what we started in the beginning of the conversation, executive functioning, where time management is what you teach kids, how long you can play, recess, time in, time out. You know, they learn how to play, um, go uh, red light, green light, and they have to know how fast they can go and stop. So 
So you learn that early on, but you need to sometimes relearn it or sharpen the saw because you forgot or you never learned it accurately. So that's why you start relearning it as an adult. And how do you how do you manage your time when things just overwhelm you? And you know you you have kids at home, you have a, a demanding job, you have so many things. And as you get older, you have more and more things on your plate, and you're volunteering here and you're volunteering there. Right. So there's something called being proactive versus reactive. Reactive means that when you feel overwhelmed, you start. Do you know how that feeling is where you have to sit down and you just can't think? Yes. So you don't want to get there. You want to not be reactive and say, no, hold yourself together and say, small baby steps. I'm going to be proactive. Let's say, for example, you see, I'm going to give you a simple example. You see a kitchen full of dirty dishes. And you go, oh, my God, I'll never be able to finish that. I'll never be able to get to that party on time. I'll never be able to leave the house. And let's say you can't leave the house unless you do them. For some reason, you have to do them. You just have to stop and say, I'm not going to react. I'm going to put on my gloves. I'm going to start loading the dishwasher. I'm going to do one dish at a time. I do this with tax time. It's tax time coming up, right? I'll say, oh, my goodness, I have so many tax papers, 1099s and W-2s to put together. I have to fill out this form for the accountant. So instead, you sit down and you go one paper at a time. I take out my pencil, my pen, my ledger, a clean file folder. I'm going to label it Taxes 2012 because I'm doing last year's Taxes 2013 to start the new year. And I'm going to do small baby steps. I'm going to divide it up into 20-minute intervals, and I'm going to reward myself with whatever reward makes you happy. If it's a bowl of ice cream, let it be. If it's a nice warm bath, so be it. If it's a book that you've been dying to read, or maybe it's a movie you want to see on cable or on your iPad, whatever the treat is for you, do it after your 20-minute torture. And you've got to be realistic, too, right, about how much time it will take you to do such a task. Right. That's why you can't set yourself up for disappointment. It would be so unfair to say, I think I'm just going to organize all my thousands of photos this afternoon. Like, who can do that? No one can do that. So you say, no, I'm going to do just this one bag, or I'm going to do just this handful. Even if we were back to that closet that's such a mess, if you only have, you know, 10 minutes, then do one or two hangers at a time. If you have 20 minutes, do five, you know, do as much as set yourself up with a timer. But give yourself a reward and a pat on the back. Say, I'm doing it. I'm being proactive. I'm not going to sit there and say, woe is me. I'm a mess. I could never be on time. I have no place to put my car keys. I have no, you know, I can never do my dishes. I can never do my taxes. I'm just going to sit and, you know, soak it up and just eat chocolate bars. You know, one thing that helps me, you mentioned being on time, is I set my clock in my car 12 minutes fast. Yes. So that when I that. when I look at the clock and I'm you know flipping out that I'm running late, then I can relax myself because I know I've given myself a 12 minute cushion. Right, that helps. When I tell when I give a class, I tell everyone to I ask them if they wear a watch, and I tell them why I like wearing a watch. I like timing myself, how long it takes me to do each activity. So if you know it only takes you, let's say, 15 minutes to shower, put on your makeup, get dressed, then you know you need 15 minutes. 
If you time yourself to get from home to work and it takes you 20 minutes, then you know you have 20 minutes plus give or take some of the traffic time. The idea is to time yourself so you know how long it works for you. Not everybody moves as fast. So that gives you a sense of um, a boundary. Now, the advantage of you putting your clock, your car clock, 12 minutes advance, is probably you feel less stressed. You've got like a cushion there. And that's good. You know, that's when I tell people to maybe lay out your clothes the night before, put out your coffee pot, um, make sure before you go to sleep that you have milk and creamer in the refrigerator, that the kids' lunches are made. It's all in the planning. And you do feel very accomplished when you do things like that. The, oh, it's so rewarding. You just are you walking around with a smile on your face. Yeah, the one or two times that I do actually do that, you know, make the lunches the night before and set aside the kids' clothes before I go to sleep. When you wake up in the morning, you do actually feel accomplished because you know that it's just going to be a smoother morning. I think the easiest thing is laying out your clothes the night before because if when you wake up late in the morning or tired, even if you didn't wake up late, to think about what to wear, you know, can take two to five, ten minutes. Definitely. So there you go. You're ahead of it. Definitely. And I want you to know, even my son lays out his clothes. I mean, my girls have laid out their It's really cool. And then you see them doing it for their kids. Right. What could be better? Right. Okay. okay so that's time management. Yes. Let's go on. Yes. Organized kitchen. So why is the kitchen so important? I mentioned something about having the milk out, the coffee maker. You want to know that your kitchen has is well stocked, has the things you need, not too much of a, of a good thing. I had one client who had, oh, I don't know, I want to say 12 uh, Duncan Hines cake mixes because she was always ready to make a birthday party. Way too many cake mixes. Took up way too many spaces. It had an expiration date on it. Well, you know, Didn't some people can them. help it when, you know, when the cake mixes are on sale. Or in my case, yeah, we, we know, have tons and tons of cereal boxes because when cereal I, goes on sale, you want to just bring it all home. I know, but there's an expiration date on it, and you have to go to the market anyways. And how much, Randy, are you really saving? Fifty cents right. each? I mean, that adds up to space and time. And, and you're looking at the same thing. You know, I used to go to Costco with my fa- for my family. I bought that big box of cereal. Nobody wanted to eat the last one third of it. It got stale anyways. Yeah, you know those really people. Saving. You know those people who, when they go house, when they go looking for houses, yeah. they want to know where the Costco closet is. But it's crazy. So the thing with the kitchen is, you want to have everything in its place. You've heard a place for everything, um, everything in its place. You know, I have people who have can openers and peelers in every single drawer. That doesn't make sense. You want to put it back so you can find it again. Right. You want drawer dividers. You want your drawers to be clean. You want them to be efficient. You want them to have the things you need. When you open up the cupboard to get your coffee mug, it should be the coffee mug of your choice and enough for one person in the family. If your family is six, then have 12 coffee mugs. No more. It's too much of a good thing is not a good thing. The rest is clutter. So you want your kitchen to be functional, efficient, clean, and easy to use, user-friendly. That is something that I, when I had mentioned earlier about moving from my two-bedroom apartment to my house, Mm -hmm. um, 
the mugs. I had so many mugs. I didn't even know what to do with all the mugs. And I'm saying, we're only two people here who drink coffee. What do we need 16 mugs for? And they were just mugs from, you know, from fairs and right. wherever right. wherever we went. We would pick up a mug. We would pick up a this, we'd pick up a that. And uh, I ended up not even unpacking half of those mugs. They're, they're right. still and sort of sitting in a box. And that's when you should give it away. There's so many. There's the National Jewish Council out here. There's Goodwill. There's Salvation Army. There's the homeless. There's the battered women. I mean, there's tons of places that people need your used old mug. Right. So that's the kitchen. How do you keep your kitchen organized when it's very small? A lot of maintenance. You want to put things away right away. You want to... um, you know, what happens with that one peeler is you take care of it. You start realizing the good things in your kitchen and putting it away. Now, that's when you do space planning. You have to look at behind the cupboard, behind the door wall. There's lots of devices you can get at the container store or bed and bath or Target, wherever you go shopping, to get maximize the space by gadgets, by um, different systems. Door, um, they're called shelf risers. Rubbermaid makes some other companies make them. There's spice racks. There's behind the door racks. There's um, there's all kinds of different dividers and systems that maximize the space in the kitchen. Everyone's welcome to send me a picture on the computer or text it to me, and I'll call them back or email them back and tell them what I think. Oh, that's a great idea. And I have, um, just speaking about kitchen gadgets, I have a friend who, recently redid her kitchen, and she was on a budget. And, you know, every gadget that you put into your kitchen adds to the expense. And she said the one thing that kept getting recommended to her from friends or whatever was the space dividers that separate the cookie trays. Yes. Now, what's interesting, that one, the one for cookie tray, originally came from um, holding up the top of the pots, pot lids. They're called lids, right? So you can use that for lids, make your lids stand up. I call it filing, not piling. You think of it with your papers, but you can also do it with your dishes, your cookie tins, your platters, your pot lids. Almost anything that lays flat, almost every can lay, can be filed, can, you know, be um, right. Right. Stacked on its side. Right. So, and it um, makes it much easier to find things when you yeah, need them. Yeah, and you can slip it out and put it back without harming the other stuff. I actually do this with coloring books. In a magazine rack, when we get to papers, the next next uh, title, um, have all your papers, coloring books, books stand up instead of lying them flat. Right. So that's, let, let's go into number three, the yep. organizing papers and files. is what people traditionally think about when they think about clutter, they think about paper. And that, Randy, starts out with the mail. You know, people always wonder, well, how did this get here? I go, well, it got here through the front door. And it's usually the mailman who's the corporate. So, you know, who starts it. So you want to bring in the mail and set it down into one central place until you're ready to deal with it. So whoever brings in the mail, you know, pick a bowl, a basket, whether it's in the kitchen or dining room or the office or wherever it should be, one central place. Then you want to spend just five minutes opening the mail. That means you're standing up, so you're not getting too comfortable. You're recycling half of it because half of it's really junk. 
And then the other half is usually divided into three categories. Maybe magazines you're going to put in the magazine rack. Maybe they're coupons and um, mailers or things you might want to look at just that week or those few days because they have an expiration date. It might be a sale at Macy's or whatever department store, and you only have a week or a weekend to look at it. And then there's the bills. So the bills get divided into what's called a hot file. And that's a small file kind of storage thing that can sit on your desk with maybe five categories that are called to pay, to file at a later date, coupons, invitations, work, uh, events or activities. Maybe there's family members you want to file for. And you quickly put those papers, those bills, or things that need to go in those categories, invitations. Maybe there's um, a paper about the museum that's all year long you can go to. And that's where you're going to put the things so you can go deal with it later, not those five minutes that you're opening the mail. Right, and, and just about the five minutes also that it makes it so much more it makes it easier to deal with when you're taking five minutes a day rather than letting it pile up and letting it pile up, and then you have a huge pile of mail at the end of the week and you haven't been able to Well, that's to go when you have it. to hire me for three hours to come open your mail because you haven't done it for two weeks. Yeah, and you know when you miss, when you don't go through the mail every day, you really miss important things. Oh, yes. you. Oh, yeah. You know, I was many years ago was at a client's house, and she was a Girl Scout leader. So she uh, finally opened her mail, and it said that they could not go to this, the event they were going to uh, was closed. And she said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I didn't open there. I, we went there yesterday, and they wouldn't let us in. She took all 12 little girls down to that, you know, museum or whatever it was, and they couldn't get in because the woman said, didn't you read the letter we told you not to come today? And she never opened that mail. Oh, no. A lot of people miss events, opportunities, or worse yet, uh, late payments. Big expenses. Right. I got into one of the reasons my client, my friend who called me in, uh, you know, 15 years ago, almost 16 years ago, is she couldn't find her property tax bill, which is due on April 15th here in Los Angeles. And that's a big fine if, you, if you're late with the property tax bill. Right. So um, you need to have your papers in order because it could And cost. there are people who, who find it easier to deal with bills and stuff online. So. Right now, so now it's a little bit different. You can scan, you can pay online, but you still need to have some pay, some hard copies of papers, more documents, birth certificates. You know, you still get the report card, the physical report card. You still get, unfortunately, some paper that needs to be put away. Right, right. So when we you can't, you know, when we um, were interviewed by the board of our apartment building to purchase our first apartment, we had to provide bank statements going back a number of years. Right. And my my husband, who, uh, you know, would file away the bank statements, so he used to just throw out the last page because the last page had nothing written on it. Right. And he just, I guess, wanted to just throw out whatever was garbage. Right. But every paper before that says, you know, page one of seven, page two right. of seven, page three of seven, the, the co-op board would not 
look at the packet until we had secured that last paper. And it was so difficult to go back to the bank and get that last paper of the bank statement that you threw out that had nothing written on it anyway. Because in our attempt to be organized, we actually, you know, ended up causing a delay. But you got to hold on to those papers and hold on to that stuff, you know, for for when you need it. Right. You you know, the, the key thing is really holding on to things that you still own, um, things that are tax-related that you claim on your income tax, and documents that are hard to recu- um, duplicate, like your birth certificate, house deed, grant deed, you know, things like that, things that you really need. Do you throw out the phone bill after you pay it? You know, the phone bill, you only need the phone bill is if you're deducting your telephone as a business expense. If you're not deducting it, you don't need it. But you would probably want to keep the last one in case you have to prove, prove residence or you want to um, call the number. If something's wrong with your phone, there might be a code or a count number on it. But now everything's online. But most people like to keep the last one just for um, easy reference. Right, because those are the things that I find that pile up the most. Like after you pay something, what do you do then with that paperwork? Right. You don't really need it if you're not claiming taxes. If you bought something at Nordstrom's or Macy's and you've worn it to death, you're not going to return it. You can get rid of that receipt. Right. You know, you're not going to keep it anymore. Right. And now I just ask them if, if it's available. I ask them to do an e-receipt. Right. Because it's just so much easier to keep it right. in your computer And then you inbox. have to set up a file system on your computer to right. store it. Right, right, So that's a whole different filing system. Right. Okay, we, Esther, we're going to take a short break. We are talking with Esther Simon, the traditional home organizer. She's giving us the seven musts for home organization. And uh, we're going to be back with Esther in just a moment right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Great, thanks. Legendary violinist Itzhak Perlman will bring his soulful sound to Brooklyn with a major performance at the Cushman and Wakefield Theater at Barclays Center on Thursday, February 28th at 7.30 p.m. Perlman will be joined on stage by Brooklyn-based cantor Yitzchak Meyer Helfgott, a world-renowned tenor who has led the revival of Jewish liturgical music. Proceeds from the concert will benefit the Met Council on Jewish Poverty and the Perlman Music Program. Purchase tickets at BarclaysCenter.com or by calling 1-800-745-3000. Separate seating options and group tickets are also available by calling 855-GROUP-BK. The evening will feature celebrated violinist Yitzhak Perlman and Chief Cantor of Parkey Synagogue, Cantor Yitzhak Mayer Helfgott, performing music from their fall 2012 Sony release, Eternal Echoes, Songs and Dances of the Soul. Purchase your tickets, BarclaysCenter.com, or call 1-800-745-3000 for the February 28th event. Separate seating options and group tickets, call 855-GROUP-BK. Attention, attention, I'll mention. Before our trip comes to an end, we ask everyone to please lend a hand and help clean up the train. We don't want anyone to trip on our trip. Thank you. Now, Benji was a legend in the Golding family because he kept his room as messy as could be. He had piles on the piles as far as you could see. Last time that we saw his floor was 1983. You know, the mess grew bigger every single day. The mess grew bigger, we couldn't stop it growing. And the mess grew bigger, he 
said. One night the mess got so bad he couldn't find his bed. Lucky in the morning that he could find his head. And the mess grew bigger every single day. The mess grew bigger. We couldn't stop it growing and the mess grew bigger. He should have cleaned it right away. from Uncle Maishi. Welcome back to Something to Talk About. I'm Randy Wartelski, right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. We are talking with Esther Simon, otherwise known as the traditional home organizer. Esther's been giving us some tips for organized home. Esther is a an MSW who helps individuals with a broad range of organizational issues, including streamlining the paper trail in their home or office, space planning, filing systems, and time management. Esther is a mother of seven and has quite a number of grandchildren as well and has an immaculate home that demonstrates the positive effect a well-organized, uncluttered environment has on a family's daily routine. Esther is joining us from L.A. today. And if you do have questions for Esther, you can email me at randy at nachamsegel.com, R-A-N-D-I, at nachamsegel.com. So, Esther, we were talking, we started with time management. Mm-hmm. We talked about having an organized kitchen, mm-hmm. organizing papers and files, and mm-hmm. those were the three tips we did so far. Right. What are we up to now? Okay, we're on number four, children's schoolwork. So as I mentioned about being a role model to your children, you have to set up systems for your children so they can follow. 
You know, it's funny. You can't just say to your kid, well, put your things away, go clean up your room. What does that mean, clean up your room? You have to show them. You can't just expect them to know how to do it. That means you would have to go in their room and show them where to put their put their school supplies, how to hang up their clothes, how to play with their toys, and how to put them away. So you have to physically be with them, set up the skills, set up the techniques, the systems, label them. And when it comes to schoolwork, you want to, to have a designated place for your children to sit down and do their homework, have their school supplies, just like they do in the classroom where they have a cubby and they have their name on it and there's, um, their supplies are in one of those plastic shoe boxes. You want to set up that type of thing at home. So you would start by having some place in the home where they will unload their backpack, put their coat, the same place, just like your car keys, so they get used, of, used to the routine and the habit. It might be in the kitchen. It might be by the front door. It might be by the back door. It might be in their room. Wherever you decide you have space or you made space for the children to put their backpacks. You want to go through the backpacks. You know, I had a, a client who had a five-year-old, and she said, how often do you think I should go through the backpack? And I said, well, for a five-year-old, every day there might be a leftover sandwich in it. Right. And she looked at it, and there was like a sandwich from like four days ago. It can get really uh, spoiled in there. Yeah, I actually you, should say I pride myself on being organized and going through my kids' backpacks daily. And I, you know, my 10-year-old, I, I feel like he's, you know, getting a little bit older. I don't have to go through his backpack every day. And then I did get an email from his teacher. We went through your son's backpack today, and guess what we found? Right, right. You know, you do have to be on top of that. Right. So you're setting up a place. For their things, you're going to create a school supply drawer or shoe box. One of my favorite uh, supplies is that traditional clear plastic shoe box with a lid for arts and crafts, pencils, rulers, that kind of thing to put in the, a space that's near the table that they're doing homework, whether it's in the kitchen or the dining room or their bedroom, wherever you're going to help the younger a child in the family area, and they'll have that, of course, when they're older in high school in their room where their desk is. So setting up um, a place for their ch your child to do their schoolwork, and then you want to have a place for them to leave their, what I call the Friday folder. Whatever day the teacher sends home their schoolwork from the week, you might want to keep it in the same place so you can thin it out at the end of the month and at the end of the year and keep only what warms your heart. Right. How much? Everyone asks me, how much memorabilia should we save for our children? And I tell them only what you want to look at when you're older because kids get married and they don't take it with them. Right. So it's only stuff that you you know that makes you happy and things that have their name on it. I think I save way it. too much stuff. Yeah, just what the, you want a sample of each thing. My best advice um, is to get a very thick, maybe a five-inch, four-inch uh, notebook with sheet protectors in it with, lab with um, dividers, you know, birth through 12 to 12th grade, and just keep samples of the schoolwork, the best of the best, 
And at the end of 12th grade, you're giving your kid um, a nice notebook with their picture in front of it of all their schoolwork, and they can go to college, get married or whatever, and that's what they have is memorabilia. Right. Right. This big thing of having a tub of boxes um, of memorabilia, what are they going to do with it? They're not going to take it to their married home. They don't right. want it. They're having their own kids. Yeah, my husband always says the stuff that I save, I'm saving for myself. Right. Because they're not, they're not going right. to be interested in looking at right. it. Right. So that pulls us into number five. Well, I, I, I want to go back just okay. for a minute, I'm sorry, to the, mm-hmm. you know, organizing the homework space. So what do you do with a child or even an adult who mm-hmm. has ADD, who can't, you know, who, who this is very overwhelming for them? Yes. Like, how do you keep them in the routine yes. when routine in and of itself is challenging? Okay, so that's when you make a list that they need to check it off. For someone like that, having a clear space is very important. So you want to make a list starting with, you know, getting up in the morning, washing your hands, brushing your teeth, coming down for breakfast, putting your plate away, putting your backpack away, putting your pencil in its place. You need to have a checkoff list for that child where they see see it and check it off. And really um, having small rewards, really looking at them in the eyes so they could focus. There's so much going on in their minds that are quick and like, it's like flashcards. It keeps on changing. Um, that's why they have to slow down. You have to make it visual and they have to touch it and feel it and see it and hear it and using all the senses so they can get used to the routine. I think routine is the answer with the list. And maybe also to a degree lower your expectation. Right, that's when you're going to um, clear the path. You're not going to have too much, too many choices, and not too much of the same thing. So they don't get so confused and distracted. Right. Many times, because an ADD kid, ADHD kid, will hear other senses, other noise outside of what you're talking to them. They can hear the rain coming down. They can hear the bus noise that's outside. They can hear all the other things while you're talking to them. Right. So you want to have it where there's just less of a distraction. There's not that much going on, that much clutter, that much, you know, outside um, stimulus also. Right. right. And then you tell them to go clean their room, and then by the time they get up to their room, they've already been involved in something else that they forgot right. what you originally told them. Right. You have to give, you know, one, one direction at a time. You know, you wouldn't say to that child, you know, go get the milk. Put the toaster, toast in the toaster oven and go get me a napkin. Those are three tasks that are not right next to each other right. and might be too hard for him to remember. Right. So you would have to say one at a time, and then when that's done, you can go to the next thing. Right. And then they get used to it, and you lower your expectations, but you have to know that that child's usually very creative and very um, successful in other areas. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Okay, so uh, good segue into tip number five. Okay, so schedule and routines. Now, a lot of people like that uh, family calendar on the refrigerator or on the chalkboard or wherever they're going to put it. That works really great for the family who wants to use that with maybe different color dry erasers for each um, member in the family so the whole family knows what's happening. You can... Um, also, write out, the, write out the calendar, the routine. 
you want to reinforce the schedule and the rewards and the chores. I think the, my most successful um, tip would be to gather the family and have what's called a family meeting where you discuss what's a mission statement, how you want your family to run, who should do what, how you're in this all together, divide up the chores, think of a reward for the family that would be something everyone would look forward to. And what age um, do you think you could start this with? What age children? You know, it's interesting. I think a three-year-old can start putting, uh, you know, a two. I have a two-year-old grandchild who can clean up. You know, they teach that song in preschool, in, right. um, in, in uh, nursery school. They teach the cleanup song. So you can start teaching a two-year-old to clean up. You can start, you can tell on each age by looking at your child how much they can hold, what they, how tall they are, what they can reach, and involve them. You know, you can put your, your toddler in the high chair very close to where you're peeling carrots and cutting them and start counting them, putting them in the chicken soup pot. You can involve them in every and any activity you're doing. Right. right. And then they learn from that. It's involving. I think the, the problem is, is when the mother says to the kids, everyone out of the kitchen, I don't want any help, and then they never learn. I give these popular classes at Cafe Mom at the Jewish Family Service here, and they're usually young mothers that come, and there's an array of different classes. And I ask them, you know, did any of you learn to cook? Did you learn to make a shopping list? And some of them raised their hands, no, my mother never let me in the kitchen. I never knew how to do anything except boil water. Right. So I think that's the problem, that they memorize the, um, the, pizzas, the pizza phone number for, you know, delivery, and they don't learn how to make macaroni and cheese by themselves. Right. And do you think when children see, I know in my house we have the school calendar hanging, so they, mm-hmm. they look at it daily, they like to cross off the days, they like to know what's, right. what's coming up. Do you think that it makes children feel better? And, you know, they say about children being in structured environments, uh, you know, psychologically speaking, if they know what their expectations are and it's clear uh, to them as well? I think so, don't you? Don't you feel better when you know what you're going to do today? And, you know... Everyone wants a little element of surprise and flexibility, but most people like routine, stability, builds confidence. They like to know that there's, you know, gas in the car. They like to know that there's food in the refrigerator. They like to know that they can depend on someone else, that they're, you know, that the person's going to be responsible, dependable, um, you know, it's a reassuring thing. It's just, you know, it's the basis for a stable family. Right. You know, it gets rid of that dysfunction in your life. And at what age do you think you're doing the routines, you're going through the daily schedules, at what age do you think you have to start letting them do things on their own without the reminders? Okay, so so the first part is even at birth you start doing a schedule. When a baby starts getting on the schedule, you start, you know, writing that down, and they start learning their nap time. Right. So each child matures at a different rate and a different time. So you need to test it. There's some nine-year-olds who really know how to turn an off, turn on and off the stove and can make macaroni and cheese and can use a knife. And some have to use a plastic knife, and some have to stand on a stool to reach the burner, you know, reach the switch. So you really have to look at your child and test them and talk to them and be with them. And, you know, 
um, show them. I think, I personally think at nine years old they could start learning to cook and to bake. Mm -hmm. I think at 12 when they reach, you know, bar mitzvah and bas mitzvah, when they reach a certain maturity, they can start making important decisions. Give them good choices. Do you want this or that? If you do this, the consequence will be this. If you do that, the reward will be here. You know, which sounds better to you? Help them make the choice, which is part of executive functioning. Right. Help them see the clarity of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, we've just got uh, a couple of minutes left here, and we've still got two items on yes, let's go through our list for musts for home organizations. So the next okay, one so you say is? The shopping list. Shopping list. So it's important to be realistic. You know, you talked about the Duncan Hines mixes and the birthday gifts. You want to look at your pantry, and you want to start writing down everything that's in it. If you want a shortcut, you can uh, collect the receipts that you get at the market because everything's automatically itemized now. So if you collect the receipts for over a month, you'll see how much of what you buy. So you can start typing that up and having it on your computer and then printing it out. And instead of writing a list, you can just circle what you're missing. Mm. So you can have a standard shopping list, which is, which is fabulous because it helps you go to the market with that. And along next to the shopping list, you can have a menu list. You can talk to your family during your family meeting, which we talked about a minute ago, and say, okay, family, what are the 12 best meals that everybody will eat? And you can start writing that down, pick the days of the week that you want those meals, and then you have your shopping list based on the meals that you're making. Right. So that will cut out a lot of time at the market and a lot of uh, wasted items that you might buy for your pantry that never get used. And you'll be more efficient. And it's funny because also in terms of expectations, it relates to what we said before, that your kids are not going to come home from school going, what's for dinner, what's for dinner? Because right. they already exactly. know, they already know they're not going to like what you've prepared for them. And <laughs> when, as they become teenagers who are on diets or who uh, want certain foods, they write it, you write it down, mommy will buy it. Right. So that's good. And then the, let's do the, the seventh, the storage. Everybody talks about storage in all the magazines. You will see different containers, different sizes, different hangers, different systems, plastic, wood, baskets. So you want to look around your house and you want to see what size would fit where best. You might need some help, like a space planner or organizer to help you with this. But you want to look at the item and see what's the best way to store it. My favorite is a clear plastic storage um, shoe box size that comes in the shoe size, the sweater size, the gallon size, and you're going to put old baby clothes in it. You're going to put holiday items in it. You know, right now you're ready to pull out the perm basket, the perm container to uh, get the groggers out. Right. Or you're going to get out your, your Passover basket soon. So for every holiday you're going to have a container for storage. You're going to have a store container for old clothes or old memorabilia. And then you're going to have some practical ones, whether they're for arts and crafts, for magazines, for files, for kitchen drawers, you know, things like that. So it's uh, getting them at the storage, container store, Target, Bed and Bath, or online. We have a wonderful store here called Home Goods. Do you have Home Goods yes, up there Yes, we do in have LA? Home Goods. Yes, yes. So, uh, so we're there a lot. Well, Esther, thank you so much for joining us today oh, and for giving pleasure. us, I, I would like to say, tips for a better life. Uh, tips for improving, you know, 
the things in your life and, and help right. you becoming a more efficient and a, and a better person at your job and at your home and in, and in your life. My pleasure. And if you're interested, we can talk about uh, preparing for a panic-free Pesach. Oh, yes, definitely. We're going to have to have you on again before Pesach, and we'll let okay. our listeners know when that's going to happen. And I remind everybody, again, you can reach Esther Simon at the traditionalhomeorganizer.com. Thanks again, and thanks, everybody, for joining us here on Something to Talk About on the Nahum Siegel Network. My pleasure. Legendary violinist Itzhak Perlman will bring his soulful sound to Brooklyn with a major performance at the Cushman and Wakefield Theater at Barclays Center on Thursday, February 28th at 7.30 p.m. Perlman will be joined on stage by Brooklyn-based cantor Yitzhak Meyer Helfgott, a world-renowned tenor who has led the revival of Jewish liturgical music. Proceeds from the concert will benefit the Met Council on Jewish Poverty and the Perlman Music Program. Purchase tickets at BarclaysCenter.com or by calling 1-800-745-3000. Separate seating options and group tickets are also available by calling 855-GROUP-BK. The evening will feature celebrated violinist Yitzhak Perlman and Chief Cantor of Parkey Synagogue, Cantor Yitzhak Mayer Helfgott, performing music from their fall 2012 Sony release, Eternal Echoes, Songs and Dances of the Soul. Purchase your tickets, BarclaysCenter.com, or call 1-800-745-3000 for the February 28th event. Separate seating options and group tickets, call 855-GROUP-BK. Let's give them something to talk about. Something to talk about. Let's